So I'll be reading from Psalms 69. Psalm 69. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the mire depths, where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters, the floods engulf me. I am worn out, calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail, looking for my God. Those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs, the hairs of my head. Many are my enemies without cause, those who seek to destroy me. I am forced to restore what I did not steal. You, God, know my folly. My guilt is not hidden from you. Lord, the, Almighty, the Lord Almighty, may those who hope in you not be disgraced because of me. God of Israel, may those who seek you uh, not be put to shame because of me. For I endure scorn for your sake, and shame covers my face. I am a foreigner to my own family a stranger to my own mother's children. For zeal for your house consumes me, and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. When I weep and fast, I must endure scorn. When I put on sackcloth, people make sport of me. Those who sit at the gate mock me, and I'm the song of the drunkards. But I pray to you, Lord, in the time of your favor, in your great love, O God, Answer me with your sure salvation. Rescue me from the mire. Do not let me sink. Deliver me from those who hate me from the deep waters. Do not let the flood waters engulf me, or the depths swallow me up, or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, Lord, out of the goodness of your love, in your great mercy turn to me. Do not hide your face from your servant. Answer me quickly, for I am in trouble. Come near and rescue me. Deliver me, for, uh, deliver me because of my faults. You know how I am scorned, disgraced and shamed. All my enemies are before you. Scorn has broken my heart and has left me helpless. I looked for sympathy, but there was none. For comforters, but I found none. They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. May the table set before them become a snare. May it become retribution and a trap. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see, and their backs be bent forever. Pour out your wrath on them, let your fierce anger overtake them. May their place be deserted, let there be none one to dwell in their tents. For they persecute those who would, and talk about the pain of those who hurt, uh, you hurt. Charge them with crime upon crime, do not let them share in your salvation. May they be blotted out of the book of life and not be listed with the righteous. But as for me, afflicted and in pain, may your salvation, God, protect me. I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox, more than a bull with his horns and hooves. The poor will see and be glad. You who seek God, may your hearts live. The Lord hears the needy and does not despise his captive people. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and all that moves in them. For God will save Zion and rebuke the city of Judah. Then people will settle there and possess it. The children of his servants will inherit it. And those who love his name will dwell there. Quite lengthy psalm open. Um, and we're going to be looking at it just in a very short 
moment. Now let me uh, again kick us off with a, a question or a sort of series of questions that we can sort of reflect on. You know how sometimes we say that um, it, it does it not capture him or her perfectly? Him sitting at 5 a.m. in his boat with the fishing equipment waiting for the big catch. It, kind of, it just sunrises him. That's kind of that's him or her spending a good half of a day gardening and tending to the flowers. Sorry, it's really hard for me to avoid these stereotypes, um, but um, you know, we often say these things. Does it not summarize this thing really well? Uh, you know, the utterly poor condition of the roads in Riga summarizes the work of the Riga City Council. Or I just reflected on that on the train this morning, but maybe I'm just being impatient. Maybe the big change is coming this summer or so. A, a couple of weeks ago, we, uh, we could witness what it might be called the sum of what it means to be Latvian. Yes, the song and dance festival captures what it means to be uh, Latvian. But well, what does it mean to be human? What is the sum of what it means to be truly human? Well, that's what Psalm 69 is all about. It is about, if you like, concentrated humanness. The sum of what it means to be truly human. It is about deep hurt, loneliness, unfair treatment, lack of support, and longing for a better, uh, more fair world that almost seems like a wishful thinking. Well, do you realize how challenging it is when we think about it? Some of us may come from the regions in the world where, where this is actually really close to home. This description is too painful to think about. And so it can make us despair. Others, others will not be able to relate to this description uh, too well, and so shallow optimism about this world may creep in. Indeed, we should be thankful for those few precious moments in our lives when we actually can enjoy life. When we are able to sit back, relax, and say, life is beautiful after all. We should be thanking God for such an experience of relative peace and prosperity in the land free from deadly viruses and violence, or almost. We should confess that we only enjoy these things by God's grace. Because according to Psalm 69, that is not a norm. That is not a normal human experience. Rather, it is an exception to the rule. So let's take a closer look at what it means to be truly human. I think that's rather lengthy song, so you'll be delighted that I will not go through it verse by verse. I will rather look at it by way of summary, and we'll, we'll take an application towards the end of, of um, 
the, the psalm, the, the talk. So to be fully human, firstly, means you will be hurt very deeply. This is verses 1 to 5. First couple of verses capture uh, a drowning human being. Verse 2, the waters have come up to my neck. Uh, I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. The flood sweeps over me. You know, I, I haven't seen a drowning man in my life, but from what I'm told, it's a lonely and quiet death. But unlike the actual drowning experience, that of our psalmist, it's not a short-lived crisis. Look at verse 3, I am weary with my crying out. It's an ongoing struggle. <coughs> my throat is parched, my eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. The psalmist is in deep hurt with no help on its way. But why is he suffering so badly? That's all because of the unfair treatment. He's hated by many without cause. You know, one thing is broken relationships, and we all know what it means to be, you know, in broken relationships. We, we know how bad it can be. We, we suddenly wake up in the night and can't go back to sleep because we think about it, or we can't go to sleep because we think about these dysfunctional, broken relationships. It can be really bad, you know, it can eat us up. But the psalmist, the psalmist is hated, attacked, he's slandered without cause. Always. What about verse 5? Oh God, you know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. Is that some kind of confession of sins on behalf of the psalmist? And I don't think it is. I think the rest of the psalm really presumes his innocence. So what is it then? I think we have an oversensitive conscience of the psalmist here. The psalmist often feels such a failure. He feels that he's let people down, doubting if he has contributed in some way to the unfair treatment himself. Again, some of us might relate to this more than others, just because of the way our conscience works. Perhaps you have been treated terribly. You know that's not fair. But somewhere deep down, you have doubts. Have I done anything wrong? Have I done anything to cause it? Is it my fault? And I think verses 6 to 11 confirms that psalmist is someone with a very sensitive conscience. A true human experience involves people treating you as they treat God. We see how, uh, from verse 6, how psalmist's great desire is to honor God with his life. And he's afraid that other faithful believers would stumble because of him. Why would they stumble? 
because the psalmist had been rejected by those who should have received him, verse 8. You know how we look at the person and, and, and we say, surely God blesses him. He is healthy, he is wealthy, he is well connected. What about someone who is faithfully serving God despite his poor health, despite his quality, and other people talking stuff behind his back, or even quite publicly, openly, as 12. We sometimes are tempted to say, oh God must be after him for some reason. I guess he had it coming. You know, in, in, in the enemies of the psalmist, in, in their mind, God is a bitter punisher. He's after him. And so this is how they treat others. This is how they treat the psalmist. Now, where does one find strength in such circumstances? Where does one find strength not only to keep trusting God, but continue caring for other people, other people's walk with God. And verses 13 to 18 says, it is the knowledge of God that is what keeps the faithful going. Who God is. You will, thirdly, endure only if you know God. You see the circumstances having changed, really. The enemies are still around, verses 14 and 18, they are still there. And the overwhelming flood is still there in, in verse 15. The psalmist is still drowning. But what has changed? His attitude to those circumstances has changed. The psalmist recalls what kind of God he trusts in. Verse 13, God who is abundant in steadfast love and saving faithfulness. His mercies really are new every day. Verse 16. So what will carry you through the difficult times? What is it that going to carry you through those times? When concentrated humanness seemingly takes over, the psalmist affirms that our faith rests in the knowledge of God, not our circumstances. Because notice the psalmist still feels very lonely. From verses 19 to 20, he still feels lonely. He's longing for support, verse 20, but receiving none, or, or at least not yet. He still experiences shame and dishonor. Verse 20 reproaches and despair under that. And verse 21, the attempt at his life. Okay, so he is desperately lonely. And it is very easy to get bitter, cynical, right, and vengeful when experiencing severe injustice. And so it's perfectly fine to long for a better world. It's, it's fine that we, we say, this can't be it. 
We want a more fair world. A world where justice is served. And that appears to be the longing of our psalmist in verses 22 to 28. You will long for a fair world as part of your human experience in this life. But are the are, are eventful thoughts the right way to go about it? Well, that's a question. The big question actually hanging above our heads in verses 22 to, to 28 is what about the judgment prayer? You could sum up the, the prayer like this, let my enemies come to destruction in verses 22 to 27. Now, let they come to destruction now, and verse 28, and forever. It's a serious, it's a serious prayer. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living. Let them not be enrolled among the righteous. Is it a Christian prayer? Are we supposed to pray or something like that for our enemies? Well, I'm not sure, but... I don't think the motivation is wrong. So let, let me let me Jay, let me say just a couple of uh, things briefly about this, so that we would think more, maybe more, more clearly about this. It it is a prayer, okay? It's a prayer. It's not an appeal for you know personal vendetta. The psalm is not is not a lone wolf like you know a Denzel Washington character in Equalizer. Uh, who brings total destruction on all evil that you know is on its way? The psalmist is not a uh, you know a lone wolf, you know after his enemies personally as a, as a personal vendetta. No, instead it is an appeal to God for him to act. But the motivation of the psalmist also it's not personal vengeance. It's longing for justice. His motivation is justice. The psalmist knows that God is the creator God, who is also a judge. He knows, therefore, that this universe is moral, that, that it matters what we do, because it will have consequences. The Russian author Dostoevsky famously said in one of his books, I think it was Brothers Karamazo, that the famous quote, if there is no God, everything is permitted. But the psalmist knows that's not true because there is God, and therefore the universe is moral. Indeed, God as a moral being sets a standard for human life and keeps everyone accountable. And just think about it, no one would actually want to live in a world where everything is permitted. It would quickly bring the whole world to chaos and destruction. Just think of the woke utopia already reaping a bit of fruit in some parts of the world. Why would, why would we want to live in a world where everything is permitted? Well, this knowledge of God sustains and motivates the psalmist to keep going. 
and longing for a better world, more fair world. He's confident that God will ultimately answer his prayers. His enemies will be judged. And, his, um, and he himself will be vindicated. That we see in verses 29 to 33. So what, is it, what does it mean to be truly human? What is the sum of being human in this world? And this psalm tells us you will be deeply hurt, people will uh, treat you unfairly, you will only be able to endure if you know God, but you will still feel very lonely and you will long for a better world, a more fair world. Now let, let me ask you a question. Is, is this your experience of life? As we've been sort of running through the psalm, as, as Dan read it and you listened to it, is this your experience of life? Are you, are you desperate? Are you constantly worn down, wrongly accused, forsaken by all, hated by loads of people? Do drunkards make songs about you and sing at the gates of Maxima? Is that your experience? Are you friendless in pain or comfortless in, you know, in sorrow? And there will be many, well, as many answers as, as there are people, I guess, in, in this room this morning. And the answer, I guess, in various degrees to this question about your experience will be heard. yes and no. Some of you will read the song and the, you know, the painful bells will kind of ring for you. It will remind you of the times you were deeply hurt. Or those who uh, should have received and supported you, turning away from you. Well, later today, later today, we're going to take the train as promised to Salford, and we will, we will baptize Arthur. Uh, you know, his mom and granddad and many, many, many others alongside us are going to come um, and, and praise God and cheer in Salford. But I know of a similar case where a young girl was going to get baptized and her parents said to her, if you do it, we will have nothing to do with you. This is not going to be your home anymore. So what we might relate to some of the, some of the experience of the, 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 the psalmist, I mean, how painful. I wonder if the whole package characterizes or sums up our life. Well, if you say that this song really characterizes, summarizes your life, I'm not even sure I want to meet you afterwards, but maybe I should. You know, maybe, maybe I should actually. No matter what we are going through sometimes, there is still, you know, there are still those moments in our lives when we are able to sit back and say, you know, life is beautiful after all. By God's grace, we are able to enjoy life now, and that's so wonderful. Now, here's the question. If the psalm sums up what it means to be truly, truly human in this fallen world, 
And if it is not our experience, really, then why not? Why does this not sum up my life in this world? Why? Well, because according to the New Testament, there has only ever been one human being who has lived in this world as God intended us to live. And although this psalm touches on parts of our human experience, it is fulfilled in only one human being. He and he alone has plumbed the depths. This psalm sums up the life of Jesus on this earth. I wonder if you notice those many, many uh, quotes that kind of ring bells from the New Testament. Let me just quickly run uh, a number of those um, by you. Do you remember how in the Lord's, you know, the, the, the final supper in John 15, Jesus quotes verse 4, they hated me without cause. And then how in John 2, as Jesus drove people out of the temple, uh, Jesus quoted verse 9, for the, the zeal of your, sorry, John quoted, for the zeal of your house has consumed me. And then Jesus on the cross, we know how terribly lonely he was. And how John 19 quotes verse 21. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine drink. And Peter, Apostle Peter in Acts 1, when he refers to Judas' betrayal of Jesus, he quotes these really hard verses, in verse, uh, verse 25 in particular, as a prophecy about the destiny of all the unfaithful. May they camp be a desolation, let no one dwell in their tents. And then Paul in Romans 11, when he talks about the hardening of Israel, he quotes verses 22 um, and 23. Let their own table be them, uh, before them become a snare, and when they are at peace, uh, let it become a trap. And although the New Testament doesn't make an explicit connection, uh, it is here. Surely verses 33, 34 to 36 of our psalm imply the resurrection of Jesus. Right as you look at verses 34 to 35. For God will save Zion and, and build up the cities of Judah, and people shall dwell there and possess it. The offspring of his servant shall inherit it, and those who love his name shall dwell in it. Well, again, my friends, as we read Psalm 69, we need, we're supposed to recognize the life of Jesus. His suffering, his resurrection, how how it's fulfilled by this psalm. And if you want, if you want to search for an image 
uh, of you know that portrays what it means to be truly human in this world. This psalm points us forward. It is to be found really on the Roman cross. In the life and suffering of Jesus. And so towards the end of, of our time in this psalm, I think having tasted some of the pain of this psalm, because Jesus and Jesus alone fully bore it, I think we firstly we can be really grateful. Although this is such a song and such a serious uh, and sad song, we can be very grateful. You know, I sometimes say, uh, if I want to recalibrate my understanding of, of my calling, I, I turn to the pastoral letters, to 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. But what if we want to recalibrate what it means to be truly human? I suggest we reread Psalm 69. This will remind you of what life um, of our Savior was like. And as you read Psalm 69, remind yourself, these are the words of Jesus. This is the experience of Jesus. And as you read about how Jesus was hurt, rejected, ridiculed, and completely alone in his suffering on the cross. Say to yourself, he did it for me. And let it fill you with deep, deep gratitude. Secondly, I think we should be encouraged. We should be encouraged by the sympathy of Jesus. The author of the book of the Hebrews tells us, that Jesus was in every respect tempted as we are, yet without sin. And I wonder if you could, could relate to any, any aspect of the suffering in this psalm. You know, hurt, betrayal, rejection, mockery, loneliness. No, Jesus has been there. Jesus has been deeper than you and I will ever be and ever be called to enjoy. And as we sometimes, you know, as we sometimes think, oh, we are sinking, you know, we are catching up final breath. We experience this world really, really painfully. I think this psalm reminds me that Jesus is with us in our darkness. He is with us. He is together with us. We should be grateful because Jesus died for us. We should be really encouraged because Jesus is with us. And that's that we should, we should have realistic expectations of this life. Now what we expect is very important. Don't you think? Because what we expect affects how we respond. We may say, uh, you know, I never, I never expected life with Jesus to be like this. You know, this is so difficult. But why? Why? Has no one ever taught you what the life of Jesus was like? Why would the life of his followers be, be any different? 
And Psalm 69, it really, really straightens out our expectations of normal Christian life. What it means to be human or even Christian in this world. And so I said there are really two major responses amongst people, right? When we experience this present world. It is either shallow optimism or it's blank despair. Quite a few years ago, I, uh, I agreed to help one man to, to sort out his blackberry. I mean, we don't even know what it is, right? This was a long time ago. And he was, he was very grateful for my proposal. Um, and how do I know that he was grateful? Upon arriving, he pulled out of his bag a little bottle of vodka. But by that time, I was living in an actual church building. So as he was making the stairs up in the church building and looking around, he understood that you know, his gift might be slightly awkward. But never mind, you know, we, Latvians can use vodka externally too. We have to this, you know, we, we know how. Um, uh, but that's not, that's not the point. So I agreed to sort out his blackberry, we did it, and um, I talked to Jesus about, um, um, about, yeah, about Jesus to him. And so Jesus about him, right? <laughs> <laughs> ways, um, and, and then we actually met a second time. We met a second time, and um, again, came from Neil, and we talked more about God, had more questions. And just now reflecting on that, it was very important because three or four years later, I learned from someone else that this man had committed suicide. It has something to do with this business or debt or both. So black, black despair. Apparently he saw no point in continuing the struggle in this world. And someone had, you know, someone has said it's it's not suffering that destroys us. It is suffering without purpose. Uh, now the person who reported these really tragic news to me finished by saying, well, but there is no purpose to this life, right? Funny that those are the same people who will often say, all is going to be well at the end. And I want to challenge this shallow optimism always by saying, how do you know? But how do you know that it's going to end well at the end? What is a normal life on this earth? Are our expectations realistic, my friends? I, I want to suggest that any good times we, we are able to enjoy in this life, it's, they are anticipation of heaven. They are you know, a gift, a gift from God. And that's why I think self-christed baptism and picnic is, is going to be such a joyful time that we should be thanking God for. But any any bad times in our lives, when we feel, you know, too much of a struggle, it's, we were thinking, I think we should get a realistic perspective because it's a norm. Why would things be different considering how broken our world is? Why would they be different for us? Because, because we're Christian? That's why. Remember Jesus. Remember Psalm 69. Now, how about Jesus' suffering weren't pointless? 
because he eagerly anticipated his glorious resurrection. And same for us, same for us as followers. Life in this world will often feel like a perpetual struggle. But we should remember that none of it is meaningless. If we follow the crucified and risen Lord and Saviour, none of it is meaningless. And so we too patiently, patiently trust in the promises of God for a glorious future with our Lord and Saviour Jesus, even when we experience all the hurt and disappointment and loneliness and abandonment and anything else in this world in the world. Let's pray briefly. Great Assembly, Father, we thank you for our dear and precious Saviour Jesus. Thank you that as we look at Jesus' life through the Psalm 69, we confess there is only really been one person who has lived a truly, truly human uh, life in this world. And so, um, experience all its brokenness to the brim, has suffered all the evil in this problem on behalf of us. And so, Father, as we reflect on our human experience in this broken world, Father, please fill us with gratitude and peace that Jesus who gave his life for us is with us even when we feel that we are going through the valley of the shadow of death. So Father, please fill us with gratitude and grow our faith that we might trust Jesus and the promises that we have in him. That whatever we are experiencing in our life, maybe now, it's going to end when you will come back when you will take your people, your church, in the glorious new creation. So Father, fill, fill us with patience, and gratitude, and trust. We pray these things in the precious name of our Saviour Jesus' name.